you were listening to the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. Red Hill Church is a gospel-centered, missional church in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon community of the St. Louis Metro East. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. My name is Brooke Schomburg, and I'm going to uh, be your scripture reader for the day as well. Um, And we are continuing our Advent series, and today we'll be reading Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46 and reading all the way through verse 56. So I'll give you a second to turn there. That's Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. This is Mary's praise. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arms, he has scattered the proud. Because of the thoughts of their hearts, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. Thanks so much, Brooke. That was awesome. Great day. Uh, Some of you during the, perhaps during the preaching uh, section of the sermon are going to need to go use the restroom. Feel free to do that. Um, Some of you, like me, have had enough cold brew to have your teeth vibrating a little bit. So don't, you know, just, you lean into that. You just, it's like the meat sweats. You've got to eat through those meat sweats. When you get the caffeine shakes, it requires more caffeine to finally normalize that. I'm, trust me, I'm a scientist. I know about things like this. I'm getting like a little kick on that, a little bit basier than I usually am. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're looking at the Magnificat, which is not an awesome cat, as I originally thought as a child. Uh, it's Mary's song of praise. And sometimes your soul just gets so overwhelmed that normal words will not suffice. Just regular talking cannot accomplish what you feel in the depths on the inside. This happens sometimes in the Bible. It's uh, listed as a song or a psalm or a, a word of praise. It happens to Adam when he sees Eve. He, he actually, res- like the first thing that happens is he recites poetry. If you get overwhelmed and you just need to express it, sometimes you have to do something like that. I thought I would share one of my favorite poems with all of you this morning. It goes like this. Uh, Roses are red, violets are blue, rhyming is hard. That's one of my favorites. So an anonymous teenager is given the responsibility of giving birth to and raising the very son of God. She is told that her baby will be conceived by a work of the Holy Spirit. Her only question is, how is that possible since I'm a virgin? She is a virgin. She'll remain a virgin all the way beyond the birth of her baby, Jesus. And then she will be responsible for raising the very Son of God. And you thought that your life was complicated and difficult. 
And one of the important differences that I want us to see, those of you who have anxiety, fear, those of you who feel like an imposter, those of you who feel like you don't belong, that, you know, you sh that God shouldn't accept you, or that your life is requiring more of you than you are able to give to it, I want you to see like my response oftentimes to that is to lament, God, why did you give me something like this? Don't you know who I am, how limited I am, how little I have, how little I can do, like the, the small amount of gifts that I possess, like my response to that is to feel sometimes overwhelmed or even frustrated at God. But Mary's response to that is to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. And I wanna just from the outset let you know, one of the gifts of the advent of Jesus is mercy for people who are afraid. That he came, a primary reason for him coming is so that the people who lived in fear would no longer have to be afraid. Every time we see God show up in the Bible, in the New and the Old Testament, in, in, in the sending of his angels, the consistent message that is given every time is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I, I want you to see from the outset that the pathway that Mary took to avoid fear was to magnify not the circumstances that she found herself in, but to magnify the Lord. We know that the word magnify is used primarily in two ways. If you're gonna magnify something, not, I'm not talking, those of you psycho middle school boys, I'm not talking about murdering ants with a magnifying glass. I'm talking about taking something that feels far away, like a planet, and magnifying it, drawing it close, so that you can see it better, or taking something that is small, magnifying it and making it big. Now, we're not, we don't need to draw God close to us. He's promised to be with us always, and God is not small. The problem is not the truth about God. The problem is often our perception about God which is why the psalmist says over and over again, magnify the Lord with me. That which feels far away, bring it close. And that which seems small, make it big. Let it be what it actually is. So uh, Mary, uh, teenage virgin, given the responsibility of birthing and raising Jesus, her husband-to-be uh, had to be persuaded by an angel that all this is true, which I think is probably the only way, like you sometimes you have to like actually be a real person and think about it as a real person, that if the girl you're engaged to came to you and was like, I'm pregnant, but it's of the Holy Spirit, you're gonna need some divine intervention to go along with that. You know what I'm saying? Joseph was a good guy. He's gonna put her away quietly, it says in Matthew chapter one. In other words, he doesn't wanna humiliate her, but an angel comes and visit him, uh, visits him and uh, he believes and it's credited to him also as righteousness and so he sticks in. Uh, Mary's, it's either sister or cousin, some kind of close relative, Elizabeth, is pregnant with John the Baptist. I think it's her sister and John the Baptist then would be the cousin of Jesus she goes and visits her and then Elizabeth actually prophesies over Mary. The Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and she prophesies and in chapter one, verse 45. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. 
That's the prophecy that's, uh, that's given over Mary. She, she talks about like, I knew that you were carrying my Lord. Like you're carrying the guy who I'm submitting my life to. You're carrying my Lord. Because John the Baptist, by the way, not John the Presbyterian. Just saying, he's a Baptist, y'all. We got him. He's with us. I don't know if he's Southern Baptist or not, but he's at least Baptist. He did somersaults inside my belly. He was going nuts when you came in here with Jesus. Holy Spirit rushes on her. She prophesies and she says, blessed is she who believed. This is the fundamental requirement of Christianity. This is the fundamental issue of all of life, belief, faith. That's what it always comes back to. That's what it always comes down to. And in verse 46 down through 56, we get Mary's response to all these things. We don't have a whole lot of Mary's words recorded in the Bible. One of my favorite things about Mary is like when, she, when all this stuff is happening with Jesus, it says that she took all these things and she treasured them and she pondered them in her heart. And I know uh, all of you are like, you know, the song, Mary, did you know? Have you heard of it? I have heard of it. And everybody's like, you have to have a position on it. I think it's a really pretty song. Uh, did Mary know? Ask her someday. Like, get to heaven, ask Mary, did you know? And then you can settle the debate fully and finally. Beyond that, I don't really care. It's not, it's not Bible. It's just somebody trying to write something pretty and make a little money at Christmas time. Enjoy it, don't enjoy it, whatever. It's not like it's footprints in the sand, which I am passionately opposed to. And I would be happy to preach a full series on footprints in the sand. It says, Mary uh, said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord or my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because he looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Mary says, he looked at me. Do you know what that feels like? Uh, my son, Nathan, who will be home soon. I can't wait. Uh, I love him. He's great. He'll be home soon. Uh, we used to give him a little bit of a hard time because he's, he's, a, he's a little bit of a flirt, all right? And I can say that because he's not here and he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> but he's a little bit of a flirt. And Sarah and I were kind of giving him a hard time. Like, you're a little bit of a flirt. He's like, no, no, I'm not a flirt. We're like, you're, you're a flirt. You're a flirt. You're a, you're a boy flirt. He's like, no, here's what it is. Here's what it is. He said, I look girls in the eye and they're not used to that. It's honestly a little disconcerting. Like right now, if I were to lock eyes with you, <laughs> I'm doing it right now. I locked eyes with somebody. It's a little weird, right, Alexis? You know, like when someone sees you, we are really good at not looking at people. And if you don't believe that, go to Walmart today. There are two people you will work diligently to not make eye contact with. The first one is standing outside by a red bucket and ringing a bell. And everyone around you will be like, just don't look, don't even look. Just walk past, just don't even look at them, right? The second one is right inside the doors. An elderly gentleman or lady will be standing there just looking to say hello to you. And you're like, don't even look at them. I don't even know why you don't wanna look at the greeter. Just greet them. They're just there to say, hello, how's it going? Welcome to Walmart, you know, but we all just like divert our eye, divert your gaze, look away, don't look. If you go downtown and you see a homeless person, don't look at them. 
is a natural instinct for us. Walk down the halls of your school. Don't look at people. When I, when I went to San Diego not long ago, I went and saw my buddy Dale Huntington, who's a church planter out there, that actually you guys are going to get to meet this next year at our, one of our church planting weekends. But uh, Dale was out there, and uh, me and uh, Nathan were walking around his neighborhood, and Dale has planted in a, uh, a deeply dangerous neighborhood. There's like Mexican drug cartels. We met some real Crips. I was like, man, 1980s Raiden would not know what to do with himself. Like you're meeting Crips right now, like actual Crips. You know, the, the bloods weren't around. I don't know if they got run off or what, I don't know what happened. But one of the things that Dale told us really struck me. He said, you're, you're fine to walk around. Everything will be fine. He said a couple of things though. He said, don't, don't laugh as you walk around because people will assume you're laughing at them. And don't, look anyone in the eyes because it's always taken as a threat. Mary says, he just looked at, he looked at me. And when we observe Jesus over the course of his life in the gospels, one of the most beautiful things about him is that he wasn't afraid to look at people and to see them, to actually see them and there's a thing inside of all of us that says, that's what I really want. And simultaneously, that's what I'm most afraid of. What I really want is for people to see the actual me. And my deepest fear is that people will see that person, know that person and reject that person. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord because he looked at me and showed me favor. He saw me and he still poured out favor on me. He wasn't ashamed to make eye contact with me. He wasn't too proud and haughty and too good to make eye contact with me. I would imagine that this nobody from nowhere who had no name, no money, not much going for her, was probably pretty used to being overlooked, but not in the presence of God. He looked on me with favor on the humble condition of his servant and surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It is important for us to take note that nowhere in scripture is Mary worshiped or treated as any part of the Godhead treated as any kind of saint that's uh, venerated to the point of saying we should pray to her or through her. Jesus never does that. And in fact, makes it abundantly clear that her place in his life is far below God's place in his life. And uh, that's important for us to note in a Catholic context where that often gets conflated and confused. And why is it that Mary is called blessed? The answer, of course, is because in all of human history, she had a unique place and position to do something that nobody else would get to do. One of, uh, one of my favorite things in life was experiencing my wife being pregnant. I mean, it was this, like a close second favorite was not having to be pregnant myself, but she loved it. And she would talk about like what it felt like to have a baby inside of you moving and the connection that's developed between a mom and a child. And it's, it's something that's beautiful and special. 
The mighty one has done great things for me, she says, and his name is holy. The almighty has a name. We don't worship a cosmic force. We don't, we don't worship an impersonal force. The, the almighty has a name and he's personal. He's holy, he's totally distinct, he's totally different from us. And this omnipotent personal God looked at Mary and did great things for Mary. That's pretty cool. And it says in verse 50 that his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. How, how can anybody survive in the presence of one who's great and powerful like this? Uh, when we think about great and powerful, like the first thing that comes to my mind when I, I wrote great and powerful, I was like, the great and powerful Oz, you know, like that you have this guy behind the curtain pulling levers who doesn't want to be seen and doesn't want to be known and mostly wants to be feared in some sort of hazy obscurity so that everybody will just do what he wants them to do. But that's not the God that we worship who pulled the curtain back and said, not just I want to be known, but I'm gonna come in the flesh so that you can know fully who I am. This is who I, if you want to know who God is, you look at the life of Jesus. That's God made flesh and dwelling among us so that we can see him and know him, so that we can experience him. Isaiah, when he gets in the presence of God, he's like, I'm undone, I'm unraveling. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. And he's like, my life is like literally unwinding. Everything about the helix of my DNA and RNA is going to come completely apart because I'm in the presence of holiness. Over and over and over again, God's like, we used to sing this song, I want to know you, I want to see you, I want to touch your face. And I, like in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, we'd, wanna, we'd sing that song, I want to know you, I want to see your face. And I remember singing it and thinking like, but God said if we did that, we'd die. So I don't know if we should sing this. It feels dangerous to sing this. How are we supposed to survive this? And what we see over and over and over and over from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is that his disposition towards us is mercy. His default position towards humanity is mercy. How do we know that? Just look at the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve sin, and God does not destroy them and start over. It would have been easy. There's only two of them. Nobody would have known. We'd never have heard of Adam and Eve. It would have been like Bill and Joanna or something. You know what I mean? Like it would have been totally, we'd have no record of it. He didn't have to tell us. All the way back to that beginning of sin, Adam and Eve sin, and what is God's response? He goes to the sinners. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to the sinners. He doesn't come with accusations and condemnations and eternal consequences. He comes with questions. He comes with consequences. He comes with mercy. His default position is mercy. His disposition towards us is mercy. He wants to give us mercy. He wants to give you mercy. 
God wants to give you mercy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. His generosity of mercy spans not only across a sin or two, not only across a decade of sin, and not only across a lifetime of sin, but generation to generation to generation of sinners, his mercy endures. His default position towards humanity is mercy. This, this is a popular notion in the world today that says God will not ultimately punish anyone. There are those, even in our own community, who will form a church and will tell you that in the end, everything will be okay and there will be no consequence for sin. And that simply is not true. In Romans 9, 15, God, it's a quote from the Old Testament. God told Moses, Paul says to the church in Romans 9, 15, he says, God told Moses, I will have mercy on who I will have mercy and I will judge whom I will judge. Jesus said in the last day, the sheep will be separated from the goats and the sheep will, brought, will be brought into everlasting life and the goats will be sent into everlasting punishment. If that wasn't enough, Jesus said, there will be many who will say to me on the last day, we performed miracles in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, I will say unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And in the book of Revelation, in the description of all things, Jesus says to one of the churches, I wish you guys were either passionately for me or passionately against me. But since you're neither of those things, I'm gonna vomit you out of my mouth. And only a fool or a dog will return to its vomit and lick it back up. I'm, I'm gonna be done with you. Get hot or get cold. God's mercy is offered to everyone, but it is not applied to everyone. His mercy is offered to you. It's offered to me, but it is not applied to everyone. It's applied only to those who know that they need it. That's who gets his mercy. Only those who know that they need it. Those who fear him. Fear is not the feeling that the fear of the Bible I'm talking about. It's not the feeling you have when you're being robbed or physically threatened. It's reverence and awe and worship. It is what is the foundational operating principle of your life? What is the deepest truth? What is there at the base when everything else is either stripped away or everything else is assaulting all of the worldview that you have, all of the beliefs that you have, and you get down to the last thing that you believe to be true, what's there? For Mary, it was the truth about who God is and the truth about how God felt about her. And that fear of him, that awe and reverence and worship of him, that was what was at the center of her identity. And she's saying, that's who gets his mercy. Those who look at him and say, now I know who you are. And now I know who I am. How's Mary able to deal with this situation in her life? How can she be so calm? so grateful and so worshipful. 
in the midst of such a wild and unprecedented situation. Because listen, nobody's going to believe her. Joseph, past that, it's just the two of them sort of locking arms together and hoping that everybody else will not kill her. Because they could have stoned her. The law would have allowed them to drag her out and stone her. And the truth is that Mary let the truth of God's character sink to the deepest place in her soul. So the bedrock reality, the most important reality in Mary's world was this. God's holiness, his power, his mercy, and his love for her. That was the truth. And anything that would try to assail that or disrupt that would have dethroned that and changed her whole perspective. When fear and doubt attack us, this is where we should begin. We should begin with the truth about who God is and how God feels about us. He's real, he's almighty, he sees me, he knows me, he loves me, and he is with me. Letting those truths be the bedrock reality of your life will not solve all of the anxiety that you feel, but it will solve a lot. Peace is a person, and the more that we know Christ and the more that we love Christ, the more the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. The peace of God guards our hearts and our minds, the scripture says, in Christ Jesus. Because when I see my life in that kind of a way, I, I understand some important things. I'm in a difficult situation, a complicated situation. I'm afraid of what someone's going to think of me. I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to do the thing that is asked of me. When I see the truth of who God is, then I can rest in that truth and I'm free to try. Because I believe that God knows me, that he loves me, that he's in charge of everything, that he put me in this position it doesn't guarantee a scar-free life, a pain-free life. It doesn't guarantee an existence of endless strings of success and victory. It guarantees that I'm not alone and that if I'm obedient, I will let others see the truth of who he is and their lives get better and my life gets better. It's funny, I thought I was gonna be made useful to God through an endless string of victories this is the truth. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not supremely proud of it, but uh, I, I thought I'm gonna plant this church and uh, by year one, we're gonna have 100 people. And uh, then in year two, we're gonna have like 175 people. Then in year three, some people are gonna figure me out and we're gonna drop back down like 125 people. But when we get to year five, that's when we're gonna take off. We'll have around 350 people or so. Right, And then from there, it's just off to the races and a limitless number of people are just gonna keep flowing in to hear the greatness of my preaching, I guess is what I thought. I don't, honestly don't know. But I thought it was just gonna be a series of unmitigated successes that would allow me to become, what I wanted to be was useful in the lives of other planters and pastors, in the lives of other people who wanted to see God do something great in their lives and through their lives. And what I discovered instead was that God was gonna take me through a series of 
uh, hurts and failures and successes that were wildly different than what I was thinking was success. That he was not just going to take that idea of success away from me. He wasn't going to rob me of Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about this message, our church, or the gospel, or if you'd like to get in touch with one of our elders, you can visit our website at www.redhill.church. Navigate to the I'm New tab and click the option for Connection Card. Filling out this online card will allow you to get in touch with us, and one of our elders will follow up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check back next week as we continue to study and apply God's Word together.